the next reading will be from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth, will mourn because of him. So it shall be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and your companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you have seen and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Good evening, friends. My name is Tyler. I honestly cannot remember ever being to a church service at this time of the day of the night, but I'm glad to be here. Let's pray as we begin. Father God, by your spirit, enable us to hear these words and truly take them to heart in order that Jesus might have his rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. Amen.
The Adoration of the Shepherds by Caravaggio, 1609, Oil on Canvas, 314 by 211 centimeters. The British producer, Waldemar Junisak, recently reflected on his endeavor to make a film about the nativity in art. And as he surveyed the landscape of how human creativity has depicted the nativity, that iconic Christmas scene, he said, the pieces, the paintings, the ones that moved me the most, the ones that thump you in the heart, are the ones that recognize Jesus' birth as the prelude to his death. Jesus came down to earth to save us, and to do that, he had to sacrifice himself on the cross. This work, he says, the adoration of the shepherds, makes that point atmospherically with a huge expanse of looming darkness above the bedraggled nativity cast. There's wisdom in his words, isn't there? Beyond the manger looms the cross. Beyond Jesus' birth lies his death. And beyond that? Well, tonight, as we are gathered here, together on the eve of Christmas... We're going to let the words of Revelation chapter 1 transport us from the drab, homespun hues of a manger, a stable, and a ragtag family, to the darkness of the cross, and then to the dazzling, glorious light of the resurrected, reigning Christ. So let's begin at verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. John receives this revelation, a sight for sore eyes, if there ever was one which is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The focus is squarely on Jesus. Earth-shaking events have happened. Divine plans are in motion. How does God reveal what he's going to do? He does it through an angel sent to a humble servant. Sound familiar? If you recall our earlier scripture reading from Luke's gospel, that might ring some Christmas bells. John writes with a sense of urgency, the time is near. What time is he speaking about? It's not the clock ticking over to December 25th, no. It's not the calendar turning over to 2024. 
It is rather the time that renders clocks and calendars obsolete. It is the time of Christ's return. And that time is near. Because the moment by which humanity differentiates time has already occurred. Once the timeline shifts from before Christ to Anno Domini, from B.C. to A.D., we look forward to C.A., the coming again of Christ Jesus. Once Jesus comes as a baby, it's only a matter of time until he will come again in the clouds of glory. Jesus' birth, it is the critical, monumental first step in God's plan to fulfill his promises. God transcends time. He orchestrates history to his purposes. At Bethlehem, the eternal, the almighty, the alpha and omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the timeless one enters time. And not only is the time of Jesus' second coming close at hand, but this time must soon take place. It must. It has to happen because the definitive event of Jesus' life has happened. Did you see how Jesus is described in verse 5? You can look back there in that Bible reading. He's described in verse 5 as the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. The, The culmination of Jesus' life, in fact, the culmination, the pinnacle of the ages, Jesus' death and resurrection must be coupled with his return. They cannot be separated. They cannot be kept apart for long. They belong together. So think about this. What goes through the mind of a child when they see wrapped presents under the Christmas tree? They know that soon, soon, It must be time to unwrap those presents, right? The thought of just leaving wrapped presents under the tree, it's absolutely ridiculous. They are filled with anticipation. They think, soon I get to unwrap those presents and have what's inside. Friends, the gift of Jesus' death and resurrection is under the tree. And soon it will be time for that gift to be unwrapped and the true nature of Jesus' glory revealed for all to see. And on that note, why don't you come with me? Come with me to verses 13 to 16. Because here... We have a 
remarkable description of a figure, a figure who lives amongst the church, amongst God's people, someone like a son of man. What do you make of this person that John sees? Well, he is clearly someone of immense importance, isn't he? And he is described in the same way as none other than the Lord God himself, the ancient of days, the judge of the cosmos. John's reaction, it reminds us of how others from the Old Testament and even from the New have responded in the presence of God. When I saw him, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. What else could you do? What else would even be fitting and proper in the presence of such boundless glory? And now we come to one of my favorite parts of this chapter. John, flat on his face before this figure. Then look. Look what happens next in verse 17. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This glorious figure, it is Jesus Christ, pierced, crucified, dead, now raised, alive, the firstborn from the dead, the word of God made flesh, the word of God made indestructible. And as we see in higher definition, the person who John sees, the more right and reasonable we see that John's response is, falling at Jesus' feet as though dead, petrified with fear. And why should we be afraid? Well, in the radiance of God's glory, friends, we have nowhere to hide. Such glory, it exposes us for who we are. Prideful in our best moments, yet falling far short of God. Rebellious in our worst moments and rightfully deserving God's wrath. In a word, sinful. Yet, Jesus meets terror. He meets John's terror with his tender touch. He places his right hand on John and says, Do not be afraid. How can that be? Well, it is because Jesus was dead and is now alive forever. 
And despite that gulf between who Jesus is and who we are, he loves us. Come back with me to verse 5, where John says of Jesus, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. It is love that propelled Christ from the cradle to the cross. It is Jesus' death then on the cross that has freed us from death and the punishment we deserve for our sins. Can you put yourself in John's sandals? Fallen at the feet of Jesus, then the first and the last, the living one comes and places his right hand on you and says, do not be afraid. A simple act, a basic command, yet so profound. How much reassurance, how much kindness is there in the gentle, strong hand of Jesus? You don't need to be scared. Let your fear just melt away in the warmth of Christ's luminance. When you heed Jesus' words and when you trust him, you are safe. Because your past, your present, your future lie in the loving hands of the Almighty One who holds the power of death and life. Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. He owns death and has stripped away its power. And in effect, he tells John and us, you're not dead because I was dead. I was dead but not anymore. I am alive for good, and my forever life means your forever life. Now here's where I'm heading. Reflect on this for a moment, would you? By the grace of God, by the grace of God, the glory of Christ does not mean our doom, but rather our deliverance. Christmas is one of those times when we want to live in the moment, isn't it? We want to be present, to make memories, to soak in the good times. For Christians, Christmas is an opportunity to remember that there is a better, truer way To live in the moment. And that is to know for certain friends. That your past is sorted. And your future is secure. That's the most freeing way. To live in the moment. 
to know that you are forgiven and given a glorious hope because of the glorious one. That is what a Christmas full of Christ applies to our hearts and to our minds. And that is also what helps us to keep going at Christmas time. Because for some of us, Christmas may be a time more to be endured than enjoyed. And maybe you feel that way about life in general. As privileged as a position as John had, receiving and recording this revelation, he is like us, and he knows the need for perseverance. I, John, he writes in verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, until Christ comes again, Christians will always celebrate Christmas in the context of creation gone wrong, of suffering. Though we also celebrate Christmas as those who belong to Christ, his life sets the pattern of our lives, suffering followed by glory, and in between, patient, steady endurance. For Jesus, the path to glory and power, it, it passed through lowliness and weakness, didn't it? It began with a birth in the most pathetic, shabby of circumstances. And then it traveled through the shame and pain of the cross before breaking into radiant, glorious splendor. That's quite a journey to travel, isn't it? Think about this. Before Jesus can be wrapped in a robe and a golden sash, he must be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Before the hair on his head is white as snow and his eyes burn like blazing fire, his small head won't have much hair, and his eyes may often be closed in sleep. Before his feet resemble burnished bronze, his toes will be pink and tiny and a bit wrinkly. Before his voice resounds like rushing waters, it will utter the cries of a newborn, hungry, helpless infant. Who could fathom? Who could predict precisely how majestic and spectacular baby Jesus would grow up to be? Sure, some had indications, but the reality of Jesus' glory is more mind-blowing than what anyone could have imagined. So let me ask you, what is the dominant picture 
of Jesus you have in your mind tonight. Yes, we are celebrating his birth. Though if the chief image of Jesus that you leave with is a baby in a manger, you've missed it. Jesus' birth is just the beginning. This Christmas time, consider this. Could you let a growing adoration for what Jesus has done and, and a deepening appreciation for who he is, could you let that fill your vision over the coming days? Let's take to heart the timeless truth of him who inhabits all of time. And as we bring things to a close, I'd like you to picture, imagine your Christmas tree for a moment, or, or any Christmas tree for that matter. In some ways, I reckon that Jesus' birth is like the stand, the base of that Christmas tree. Nothing fancy, and in our case, just two pieces of metal arranged to create the right geometry for stability. It is ordinary and yet necessary for the integrity of everything above and beyond it. Not dissimilar to Jesus' birth. And the trunk of that tree, just the trunk, reminds us that Jesus hung on a tree, cursed on a wooden cross for us. And then it's what is connected to that Trunk. What comes next that is so striking and beautiful? The branches of the tree, green, full of life and light, decorated, dazzling, they remind us of Jesus' resurrection and return, his present and future glory. And so tonight, as we stand on the threshold of Christmas, and wish each other Merry Christmas. Well, the Mary that we speak of, it's so much more, isn't it? It's more than what we'll unwrap or where we'll be, more than what we'll eat or what we'll drink or who we'll see. It is the magnificent, multifaceted Mary of forgiveness, of salvation and life, in Christ, his glory, our good. As we step into Christmas Day, we're just about there. As we step into Christmas Day, that blessed merriment is ours always through him who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, the Lord Jesus. Amen.